Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers radio show at faithtalk1360.com, KPXQ 1360 radio. And uh, my guest today is a longtime friend of mine, personally, and all kinds of ways. Brother in Christ, I can say that in the environment we're in, right? That's right. Scott Fisher. Hi, Scott. Hey, Art. Good to be here. <laughs> Isn't this cool? <laughs> about 20 years ago, we talked about doing something together. <laughs> we so did. thanks for getting the show together. And that was here. That was here at Salem. It, it yeah. was here. Yeah. yeah. And so, heck, here we are, right? So, um, Do you remember I'm, what it was called? Inside Out. Inside Out. I found all uh, all the, when we moved, uh, Dinah and I, moved this past year mm-hmm. downsized and i found it i found all the files on that program you remember that <laughs> you, what year was on that do you remember oh gosh it's been 10 years okay at least it, oh I, well, more than that yeah. yeah for sure <laughs> well i was i was down in bisbee this weekend seeing my youngest who his his birthday is is uh, september the third right so um we were down visiting and celebrating with him and he turned 28 and so our paths crossed for the first time 28 years ago, or then some, at Crossing the Desert Church wow. when you wow. were the choir, and we didn't know anything. We were raising babies, and he— You just he, aged both of us. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be a familiar conversation today. <laughs> wow. Well, my, uh, my daughter turned 50 last week, and she's back in uh, Michigan with her family, and— and everybody's all grown up, and it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so time flies, but uh, everybody's healthy. That's the main thing, right? That is the main thing, yeah. and it's you know I guess one of the great things I tell my kids art all the time, and I know you feel the same way. It's the best thing ever is to get to be dad, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're here to talk about your businesses, businesses, and business of uh, options for senior living. And you co-founded Professional Association of Senior Referral Specialists, and you're on a statewide committee with the Attorney General uh, Health Care Committee. I am. You're a busy guy. Uh, you know, my ADD needs as many avenues <laughs> to hang yeah, out in. That's um, why I'm still doing radio, man. Correct. So, <laughs> um, it, bored Scott is a bad Scott, so <laughs> keep me moving. And um, But it, 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 it gives me a lot of avenues to do the things that are in my heart and that are passions to me. And um, 
and I was thinking about something this morning. I'm getting ready to write some things for my new newsletter, and it was it was, it was a good friend of mine years ago introduced me to the idea that um, we should always leave people better than we found them. Oh, nice. So I think I'm going to blog or write something about that because it was on my heart this morning. But yeah. as I've seen my businesses and the associations and the in the in the work that needs to be done in our in our um, industries that touch seniors and their families. Um, I just couldn't do this for years and, and just take, you know, our hearts are to, um, to give and, and leave it better than I found it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, so, so let's, let's do a little, uh, backward trail here. How did you get here? Well, I went to nursing school at ASU back in the eighties, had no idea what I want to do with myself. I worked, (laughs) I worked for close to 20 years in, in mental health and I took care of, um, uh, people with acute psychiatric illnesses in acute care hospitals. I also took care of teenagers in long-term residential settings where we had kids six months to three years. Wow. And oddly, or maybe not so oddly, I got hurt in a in a uh, entanglement with a mad 14-year-old a number of years ago, ripped all the ligaments to my right wrist, and I thought I need to do something after I had that fixed that I needed to find another career. Um, that was safer and not, and not wrestling with mad kids all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I recovered and found a job working with seniors. Um, at that time I was working as a nurse is like the eyes and ears for the physician under their Medicare benefits. I would be the home health nurse for seniors that often had symptoms of dementia. So they were struggling with agitation, irritability, staying up all night, anxiety, paranoia, all that kind of stuff. But it introduced me into Dozens and dozens and dozens of senior living facilities, assisted living facilities, independent living facilities all over town. And um, I began to understand that people were landing in these places and they um, they weren't really sure how sometimes they got there. The hospital referred to them. I mean, there was just and I thought, what a cool business if I could find a way to be a professional guide or consultant and help people using my clinical background and life um, to help them find the right senior living for their loved ones. And that's how I started Options for Senior Living in 2003. Crazy. And I always wanted to be my own boss. That was the other motive was that I had that spirit of um, <laughs> when I worked for corporate America. I don't know how else to say it, but I didn't. We I, all did. I thought I could do my own thing. And at 40 years old um, – I stepped out on my own and did my own thing in 2003. Good for you. Yeah. So Options has been around almost, you know, we're in our 18th yeah. year. Man. And I've I've been fortunate enough to have a front row seat with you, mm-hmm. watching you place many people over yeah. the years to what what was what the fit was, what they what their needs were, right? And uh and and you are an expert Thank you. I, at that. I, we, and I say we because now I, it's not just me. There's 10 of us that run around the whole city, you know, so we've grown the business out. But I wanted to look at people's situations and do what was best for them and do the homework and the research. It requires a lot of um, time on our own hands to find the right facilities and understand, I call it the product of assisted living because that's what we're selling, basically. Um, you're selling solutions to families or you're – um, our business model is real simple. I get paid by the facilities and communities. I don't get – there's no charge to the families. So we're a great deal for them, and we work for them while um, we ultimately try to find the right situation. 
So you're carrying through business, and then COVID happens. <laughs> How did that change your world? Well, um, first of all, it, it took us all off the streets. I, I've laughed for years. I make a living sitting in the front seat of my car, and it's easy to drive three and 4,000 miles a month around Phoenix when I would drive from Glendale, Peoria, whatever, over to Gilbert and Queen Creek in the same day. Um, so when COVID hit, I mean, many things happened. One, it took us off the streets. Two, I've prided myself on doing really thorough information gathering or assessment on the front side. Now I can't go meet people before I place them, and it feels a little more like throwing darts at a dartboard. Um, You can get all the information that you you can. You can read um, emails and faxes and stuff like that, but until I – sit and talk to somebody and see how they respond to my questions. If someone has dementia, are they able to initiate their own conversation? Are they only responding to me? Do they still have a sense of humor? Um, are they anxious and, and, and concerned and always looking at their spouse to answer their questions from? You can't get all that from a piece of paper, right? I have to right. see that. Yes. So by not being able to do the assessments, it's been a real challenge to try and find the right situations. Um, and we have to do a lot more information gathering in different ways. We've used FaceTime. We've used Zooms. Who hasn't? We've, we've been intimately close with Zoom. All that, right? Um, the other side of it is the senior living facilities have shut down. And for months, they've not let anybody in from the outside. And so not only do we start with that great I hope that great time of of information gathering and assessment, but then I usually go with the family like a realtor would and walk through the facilities with them, and we notice things, and we ask questions, and we engage the the sales director, the owner, the facility manager, or whatever. Well, we can't do that either, (laughs) so so a little more challenging. The the reality of it is is that um, people that were making lifetime lifestyle decisions about going into senior living are – they're going to hold off, and they're going to be largely um, fearful of entering what we call congregate living. Yeah. You know, if they're making that lifestyle change, well, the, the spikes were so large, it, it, yeah. and and you yeah. would see on the news yeah. that senior living was getting beat up pretty bad. And um, if I could just make a quick point, oh yeah, the news and the media were throwing senior living like all in one pile, and there's really different piles. So skilled nursing facilities are largely paid for by insurance dollars, Medicare primarily. Um, There are people that choose long-term care living in a skilled nursing facility. Often they're under our Medicaid or Altex Arizona long-term care program. Then you've got all these people that live in assisted living, and there's 147 skilled nursing facilities in Arizona. There's over 2,500 assisted living facilities in Arizona. Wow. Then we have what we call independent living, and there's – a couple hundred of those, and they're totally unlicensed. They don't even get thrown in anywhere. They're just there. there. So when the CARES Act money came to the state of Arizona back in whatever, April or May or whatever that was, the dollars never trickled to the pile of people. That represents the biggest pile. That's the assisted living <laughs> folks. Because people were paid under Medicare and there's all the government has all their hands in Medicare yeah. dollars, that CARES Act money stopped right there at the skilled. So the assisted living providers have been all over the board in terms of how they do their protocols. Um, do they have enough PPE? We've heard that over and over and over. They've had super, some super big outbreaks, unfortunately, where there's been a lot of death to follow. And the assisted living folks have really been on the bottom side of that. Yeah. I, I 
uh, one of the last interviews I did uh, that aired just last week, last Thursday, uh, was with a frontline ICU nurse uh, at a hospital here in town, a very large hospital here. She had been an ICU nurse forever, but this changed everything. Yeah. And uh, I asked her about PPE uh, from the beginning. Did you not get, receive? She said that there, the hospital she's in, always had a stockpile of PPE. It was never an issue. Mm-hmm. So there was bad reporting. I, I, I don't know what it was, but but uh, at least here in this one case, in this one hospital environment, she said, matter of fact, we were having stuff stolen so fast we had to create our own little warehouse. Right. But they, they, they never had a, they never missed PPE. Now, I don't know if the, how that trinkles down to the the assisted living facilities. Living, yeah, the assisted living facilities didn't get it. They've had to purchase it and find it on their own. Okay. Of course, the supply chain, right, that yeah. was a real issue because yeah. things were made overseas. So getting it was crazy hard initially, and it was on their out of their pockets versus the government providing. Now, the county, Maricopa County, did um, have a stockpile that if you had a COVID-positive resident – you could call the county and get some for your facility, yeah. but it wasn't readily available on an everyday basis for people. Yeah. So they had to pay for it themselves. They've had to buy their own testing um, um, uh, kits, you know, and run those own tests. And those are a couple hundred bucks a pop. So my wife works for a senior living provider. They're headquartered out of Dallas, but um, they're a small operator, but their owner invested heavily in the PPE and, and protocols. But it's not been the same, and it's been um, across the board a lot of variations. And then you have not only the corporate assisted living operators, you've got, what, 1,800 assisted living homes or something like that in Maricopa County. These are the 5 to 10-bed privately owned homes. Okay. And so they're all doing something different. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about tens of thousands of people in the state of Arizona that live in senior living like this. What's the number? More than ten thousand, yeah. thousands. Yeah. I don't know how many, oh. but with with twenty whatever twenty six hundred licensed facilities, and you multiply that, apply that out by people. Yeah, you're, that's a big number. Yeah, tens of thousands. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. They were the most vulnerable, so they've had the biggest target on their back, yeah. unfortunately. And um, when I went to nursing school, art it was crazy. If I was at, the, and I just trained right up here at the county hospital. Um, when someone had an upper respiratory illness or they were highly contagious from an airborne condition, they were in a separate room with separate ventilation. <laughs> you crowned up like you were a Star Wars guy to go in there. Now we got COVID, and they're all over these assisted living facilities. They don't have separate ventilation systems. But they didn't have the right PPE to start with. You've got people that are not trained um, nurses. You have what we call certified caregivers. So you have, unfortunately— the least trained, the least prepared wow. um, folks yeah. taking care of the most giant pool of people, our state of Arizona. That are very vulnerable. That are very vulnerable in congregate living. Yeah. And um, though we've had our, you know, our senior living's had their outbreaks, I'm insanely proud of how hard so many people have worked. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, and and you've... Before uh, options for senior living, mm-hmm. there was no organization, right? There, there, there was a. No, I, I don't want to call them a ragtag fleet, but they were almost. Well, bounty hunters, bounty hunters, and body body <laughs> brokers is what we were called. Uh, 
there, there was an article in the Phoenix Magazine uh, about Body Broker, and they were talking about us. And I was at the area agency um, on aging, and there's a group down there called the Maricopa Elder Abuse Prevention Alliance, MEPA. And a um, good friend of mine was the chair of the MEPA program at, at the area agency, and I was involved in their advocacy um, subcommittee. And one of the ombudsmen, and the ombudsman is a group of people that are dedicated to just protecting mm-hmm. the rights of seniors that live in senior living, either skilled or, or assisted. And one of the ombudsmen, I've known her for years, and she's still there, she wagged her finger at me and a friend of mine. She's like, somebody needs to do something about you blank, blank placement folks. And she wagged her finger as like in the attorney general's office representative was there and DHS was there, like, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? And so um with David's help, who was running MEPA program, I'll say David Rosenthal. Um I know David. You know David. Yeah, yeah he's just one of the best yeah. guys ever. So David gave us a platform, began to pull us together because the placement industry is non non licensed, non regulated, no oversight to us. <laughs> and we were you know, guilty as charged from a lot of, um, you know, just very unprofessional um, money-driven behaviors, just no joke. And so things that were brought up um, at that meeting where that agents like me were um, guilty of um, paying social workers at the hospitals and discharge facilities to get those referrals. Well, that's totally illegal. Um, <laughs> we were moving people around for multiple fees. So if I move somebody into one facility and move them down the street, we call that churning after a couple months, and, and an agent could pick up two, three, four fees on that person. Um, so a lot of things was going on, and we got involved and, and started what became PASSERS, the Professional Association of Senior Referral Specialists. It's a nonprofit trade association set up to um, provide guidance and, and best practices yeah. for referral agents in the local Phoenix market. And what a blessing because uh, options started in 2003, passers started in 2012. Mm-hmm. How prepared were you? you? You were very prepared going into COVID from that standpoint. Oh, sure. And, and it's, it's amazing. It could have been a big train wreck. Right? A horrible train wreck. Yeah. And, and I'm so proud of the current president and the board of directors. I, we now formed a national board, and I I'm, I'm sit on our national director um, board for the, the, non, uh, the um, National Placement Referral Alliance is what we call that. But passers continue to be a um, twice-a-month Zoom meetings. We're pulling people together, pulling providers together, doing tons of education, and being, a, 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 um, I think, a voice – amongst the chaos of COVID the last six, seven months. And I'm really proud of the group and what we've done with that. That's That's been a big deal. So um, we don't, of course, there's no end that we know about. Uh, it continues. We're not even sure if a vaccine is going to be out by the end of the year or not, right. depending on who you hear from. Um, so it's going to be business as usual along that line for probably quite a while. I think we're going to still... And nobody knows what it looks like afterwards. No, I don't think so either. And I, I think one of the... You're looking for silver linings. Here's a silver lining. Senior living was largely started years ago as a um, social or a hospitality alternative as people age and they needed a little guidance and support and they get meals prepared and they have trips out. Senior living is really in our, in our environment here has become... The, I call it the cul-de-sac of our healthcare system mm, nice. because people don't go to the nursing home to live like they did 40 years ago. They live in a nice assisted living environment at the end of, and our culture supports that. We don't bring our mom and dad home to us. 
well, senior living is going to have to get better because there are still some that just want to be in the hospitality business. And I tell them, you are in the care business really now, yeah. right? And yep. so more better infection control procedures, um, how they train staff around those infection control, infection control procedures going forward, um, how they let us just roam in and out of their buildings any longer won't be the case. There'll be more um, screening procedures and protocols, and that's good, right? Sure. But I could see us having to mask. I could see us having to do still zoomy things going forward. Um, we cannot let this thing keep hitting our seniors the way it's hit our seniors. Yeah, and and I I want to hear as much about that as we can because here in this program because it's uh, it's a lot of our audience is interested in this, mm-hmm. and and you with your your whole background going all the way back to your nurse training has prepared you for this, mm-hmm. and you are the man. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to give your email or phone number over the over the year. I would uh, do that to you, but but um, uh, but you've you, actually you've watched this revolutionize everything yeah, yeah. Right? i i've been very frustrated i'll be honest with you i've i've sit on some i'm on this attorney general's health care safety committee um i also participate in a legislative um it's a bipartisan um both the house and the senate and representatives and so they meet and talk monthly about health care issues and i've posed the question bipartisan is a foreign word now we need to tell everybody what it, it, what it really means. is there's republicans <laughs> democrats on this thing and they talk to each other and i love that that's a lot yeah but what what breaks my heart is is um as i said earlier you have assisted living folks that are largely unprepared and untrained i mean they're not this is not in their wheelhouse necessarily yeah. now to handle all this and I've thought that um, in the early stages, Governor Ducey talked about um, reopening St. Luke's Hospital, creating some sort of COVID spaces. Uh, I think the president tried to do that in New York City, in New York yeah. State, where folks that had COVID would not be cohabitating with people with non-COVID. They would be, I call it COVID Island. I would they'd go to the COVID <laughs> Island for a few weeks. And look, here's a real, in Arizona, like 84, 85, 6% of the seniors that's over the age of 65 that are getting COVID are getting better. I mean, but 15% of those people that are not um, getting through it represent 75% of the deaths in our state. Yeah. Right. So I've just, I've did, I I even brought it up to, to some of the legislators. I said, why, why aren't we thinking about creating COVID islands, partnering government with private sector and finding and, and, and running these things so that, you're not cohorting people within a building, meaning you're not moving four of them down one hallway and trying to manage it because yeah. that's getting – it's like gasoline going down the hall sometimes yeah. It's these places. And it's just it's just heartbreaking, and I still don't think anybody's thinking about that. And I've, I've asked the questions, and they go, yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, this was right at the front end of COVID. They uh, – St. Luke's Hospital was, was shut down mm-hmm. for quite a while, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's where you started your nursing. Well, career, I right? trained over there too. Yeah. I had I did yeah. psych nursing over there. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the plan, if I remember, it was to open it up, we equip it for COVID, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure it's ever been used. It as far as far as I know, it's never yeah. been used. There was yeah. a there was a COVID hotline that you could call, and they were guiding people to the right. Um, Assisted living, I mean, I mean, assisted skilled nursing facilities that were taking COVID. But again, you had 
many facilities trying to manage all this COVID in their buildings with all these people that didn't have it. And so they were getting it when they would go to the hospital or they would get it when they were, you know, they, they went into the hospital for one thing, go to the skilled, and now they got COVID once they moved over to the skilled for their, for their rehab or whatever. And I just was like nuts trying to, trying to think through how are you going to keep these people safe moving through? And it just, it's just heartbreaking. And I, I don't, I, I don't think this was the way to handle this. I think we should have explored those COVID islands more and more. But. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense uh, around the state yeah, to have. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, uh, we're inside two minutes. Uh, darn it, no football this fall. Well, I well, guess we'll have fun with some. I don't know. Who, who knows? But uh, we're inside two minutes. And I always like to end my program, Scott, with the question of uh, covid uh, there's going to be everybody's got stories that they're creating about COVID. From every person's going to have a different story. What do you think your story will be at the end of COVID? Wow. We've just talked about that we're going to have to live with this. Yeah. Like this is going to be part of our life. Yeah. You know, I don't think we'll be living in a pandemic forever, but we're going to be living with with COVID. Um. This requires me and my team more than ever to know our senior living providers better than ever and to see what policies and procedures they have in place to keep people safe. It is gut-wrenching and to know that folks that I've worked with got the COVID a year ago. You know I mean? I, yes. I worked with them yes. a year ago, then they got the COVID. And um, it's just been heartbreaking to watch us go down. And so we just have to continually work to keep people safe. Scott, thank you. Uh, it's been thank awesome. Thank you for being the man yeah. you are. Thanks for and being a friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Rescuers Radio Show is on faithtalk1360.com. You can listen to the podcast of our shows at that site as well, or just listen to it live on Thursday nights at 530, Faith Talk 1360. Until next time, take care. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.